This summer we've been looking at the life of Abraham, and we are going to continue that this morning uh, in the second half of chapter 18. We're going to be talking about God's justice. Is God just in His judgment? And this is one of those subjects that when I come to it, I want to be very careful in what I say. I want to do justice to what God has to say in His Word. It's a topic that is very relevant today because people have questions in our world about God's judgment, and we're going to talk about those as we move through the passage. But I really think that this is a passage that can help us in explaining that and in answering some of the questions that come up. So again, I want to be very careful in what I say today as we go through the text and help us to understand it, and I want to ask for God's direction as we begin. Father, as we come before your word this morning, we thank you for it. It is so timely, so relevant, the issues that Abraham dealt with. You know, there are differences, but there are also similarities. And this question about your justice is one that is often raised in our world by those who do not know you. And they question your goodness, your love, your mercy, your fairness. And so, Father, as we walk through this text this morning, would you, by your Holy Spirit, really speak to us? Help us to hear what you want us to say. Guide me in my words, Lord. Again, I just want to be open to you and be very careful not to say more than what you have said, not to say less than what you have said. And we commit this all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible tells us that there is a day coming when God will judge the world because of man's sin. And as believers, we know, and we've looked at some of these passages, that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10. And in Romans, Paul tells us that each of us will give an account of our life to God. As believers, it is not a judgment for salvation. When we place our faith in Christ as our Savior and Lord, the Bible tells us that we have passed from death to life. But there is still this day coming when we will be examined in terms of how do we live? How do we use our time, our energy, our talents, our abilities? Do we use them to serve God? Do we make it our aim to please Him in everything in our life? And did we live for His honor and glory? And there will be rewards or loss based upon how we have lived. But on the other side, for the unbeliever, that day is terrifying. It will mean eternal punishment. It will mean separation from God for those who have rejected Christ and have turned away from Him. It will mean that utter and terrible loss of everything. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice and come out. And those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. It really does make a difference what we believe and how we live. And this day is coming when all who are in their graves will rise and stand before the one who is the Lord of heaven and earth. Now I know that there is nothing more offensive to many people in our world than the idea of God's judgment and eternal punishment. And there are people who ask questions like, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? 
Or sometimes they phrase it this way and they say, how can a loving God send good people to hell? The problem is we look at goodness from our perspective and not God's. A secular person does not understand God's infinite holiness and His sense of justice along with His grace and love. Sometimes people ask the question, how can Jesus be the only way to God? Or what about those who have never heard about Jesus? And those are good questions that deserve an answer. And we're going to touch on those as we go through this text this morning. But ultimately, it comes down to faith. To trusting in God and His character. And we must leave some of those things that we just can't answer fully in God's hands. And trust that this God of love, this God of holiness and justice and mercy will ultimately do what is right. And in the end, all will see it. Every eye will see it. People may question God's justice, His fairness, His love, but I believe that this is a passage that can help answer some of those questions. All right, let's take a look. What does this passage tell us about God's judgment? Number one, it tells us that the Lord is just in His judgment. And we see that in verses 16 through 21. Let me read that for us. When the men got up to leave, now these were the three men that had come to visit Abraham, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. And then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. And then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. These three visitors that came to Abraham now got up to leave. And we know from, if you were here last week, that these three visitors, they are called men, but it really seems that this was the angel of the Lord or a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ and two other angels that were there that had come to visit Abraham. We see that in the response, that when they get up to go and Abraham responds to them, it is the Lord who speaks to Abraham. And as these men got up, there's a foreshadowing here of what is going to happen when it says, when they got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom. Now there is a place about three miles to the east of Hebron that is called Benai Naim, where you can stand on a mountain and you can look toward the plain of the Dead Sea. And you can see the area where the cities of the plain would have been. And it is very likely that that's where these three visitors and Abraham went. Abraham walked with them. He was being the good host who was now seeing them on their way as he walked toward this area. And Abraham had this unique privilege that few experienced prior to Christ coming to meet with his disciples. Abraham dined with God, he ate with God, and now he walked with God. And the Lord said to him, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? I mean, that, that's an amazing 
question. That here the Lord is saying, shall I keep this from Abraham? He knows what he is about to do. Shall I tell Abraham? One of the commentators made this observation. He said, you don't tell your servants, but you do tell a friend what you are about to do. And Abraham was the friend of God. And the Lord didn't have to do this, but he wanted Abraham to understand what was about to take place. Why was he about to go and visit and bring judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, there are three reasons that are given in the text as to why God told Abraham what he was about to do. The first one is that he tells us that through Abraham, all the nations on earth would be blessed. Through Abraham would come this one who would be our Savior, Jesus Christ. God has a plan of salvation for man. There is a way that we can be forgiven of our sins and be right with Him. And so the Lord said about Abraham that Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. And secondly, Abraham was to be a teacher of righteousness to his children and his descendants after him. He said in verse 19, For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. And I made the note there that here is the duty of Christian parents in a nutshell. I mean, Abraham was to teach his children so that they might teach their children and he would pass on this godly heritage. It is the same for us as Christian parents. I mean, what is the primary responsibility we have in our home? It is to teach our children the way of the Lord so that they might know Him and walk with Him and that one day that they would pass on that faith to their children and their children's children and that this legacy of faith would continue. Abraham was to be a teacher of righteousness. And thirdly, God wanted Abraham to understand that the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah came about because of their sin. It was not by chance. It was not an accident. But God was about to act in judgment. To say this another way, or to put it more perhaps uh, contemporary or applicable for us, we would say this, that number one, God will provide a way of salvation. God is just in His judgment and that He has provided a way of escape, a way that people can come to know Him and be forgiven. And He took upon Himself that initiative and He sent His own Son, the very best and dearest gift He could give to us. He sent His Son to pay that penalty that we deserve so that there is a way that we can be forgiven and know Him. And secondly, God will show us how we should live. He will show us this way that we can walk with Him and be in a right relationship with God. And He wants us then to share that message with others. As New Testament believers, we know the Gospel. We understand why Christ came and we have this responsibility to tell others the good news about Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, God also wants us to understand His righteous judgment. He wants us to know that His judgment of the nations and of all people is just. 
And so the story goes on here where he tells us in verses 20 and 21 that this outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. It is so great and their sin is so grievous that God is going to go and see what is happening there. When I was studying this passage, it brought to my mind the question, who or what is crying out here? Uh, Who is crying out? Who is it that God is hearing? Or what is it that He is hearing from these cities that have become so wicked? And we see from the Scripture that it is not just the sexual sin for which they are known. That indeed was great. But it is also other things that we're going to explore next week. Uh, Next week we're going to take a look at the following passages. God acts in judgment. And we're going to see that it was also their treatment of the poor and the oppressed. There was more going on than just sexual sin, although that itself was great. But it was their callousness, their indifference, their hard-heartedness to the things of God and to the needs of people around Him. Do you remember the story in Genesis chapter 4 where Cain acted and murdered his own brother Abel? The Lord came to Cain And he said to him, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The blood of Abel cried out from the ground. What these passages here so early in the Scripture tell us is that God is aware of all that's going on in our world. And God hears every cry. And God sees every action every deed. God hears the cry of the poor. God hears the cry of the hungry, of the abused, of the oppressed. The Lord sees every act of violence, every act of child abuse, every rape, every torture. The blood of innocent victims cries out to God. It is why we as Christians in our world are concerned about things like abortion as well. For God hears the cries of the unborn. And in the Old Testament we see how there is a guilt that builds up on the land unless those sins are atoned for. And I think about our nation and I think of over 50 million babies that have been aborted through the years. I think of the guilt that builds up on our land. And I wonder again, how long do we have? You know, there are times when you and I may find it very difficult even to watch the news because so many times the news just seems to focus on those things that are uh, evil in our world. You know, and we hear the crimes, we hear the disasters, we hear about all of those circumstances and things that are going on. And it can literally feel overwhelming to us. And I can't imagine how God can hear and know all of that and not act. You know, it it amazes me, His patience, His mercy, that He has not acted to destroy us long ago like He did in the days of the Genesis flood. God is merciful, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to faith and repentance. So the Lord said to Abraham, I want you to know what I am about to do. 
Amos the prophet said that surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. When God is about to act and do something big, something great and significant, God makes it known through his prophets. Secondly, we go on in this passage and we see that the Lord's judgment is based on full and accurate information. Verse 21. God said, I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. That same expression was used in the story of the Tower of Babel where God said, I will go down and see what these individuals, what man is doing. That statement is made for our sake. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He doesn't need to come down and see what we are doing. He knows it already, but these statements are made to help us understand that His judgment is based on full and accurate knowledge of each and every situation. You know, this week, uh, many people were shocked at the verdict that was given in the Casey Anthony trial. This young woman who was on trial for the murder of her daughter. And I've got to admit, I did not follow this case a lot. You know, you kind of get a little snip here and there. So I did not hear the arguments. I didn't hear all of the evidence. I'm not there in the courtroom to hear and say what was being said and done. But I know that many people were just shocked by it. I mean, they had assumed that she was guilty and that the jury would convict her of that. But I can say this. You know, our system of justice is not perfect. There are times when those that are guilty are not convicted. And there are times that those who are innocent are falsely accused. Our system is about as good as you can get in a fallen world. It is based on evidence. It's based on the assumption that a person is innocent until proven guilty and that you must prove their guilt beyond reasonable doubt. And so sometimes in this world there are going to be those situations again where we're going to feel like justice wasn't done or we may question decisions and verdicts and outcomes. But it isn't that way in God's court. In God's court, God is the judge And he is a judge who knows all the facts. He needs no witnesses. He doesn't need anybody to say, this is what I saw or this is the way that it happened. And to weigh through contradictory claims or evidence because in this world there are times when witnesses may not tell the truth. And a human judge has to sort through all of those arguments and all of those what-ifs that raise doubts or questions. It's not that way in God's court. He even knows the motives of our heart. He even knows why we do what we do. In Hebrews 4.13, the Scripture says that nothing in all creation is hidden from His sight. Everything is uncovered. It's laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. He knows it, and we will see it all too plainly right there in front of us. That's a sobering statement, isn't it? But it should also give us some comfort that this God of justice who has provided a way of salvation will one day vindicate the righteous and His name and His glory, His reputation will be clear for all the world to see. 
The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah had now become so great that God would act in judgment. That's a significant statement too. Do you remember in Genesis 15, verse 16, God said to Abraham concerning the future of his descendants that they would spend some 400 years in Egypt before they would return and God would bring them out. And he said that the sin of the Amorites, the sin of those people living in Canaan, had not yet reached its full measure. Now was not the time for God to act in judgment there. But for Sodom and Gomorrah, it had reached its full measure. And again, that raises questions in our mind. Where is the line? When, in a, when is a nation's sin so great that God must act in judgment? He's the one who raises up nations and leaders. He's the one who brings them down. And He has done that throughout the history of the earth. Peoples have come and gone in response to the action of God in His judgment. What is our responsibility as believers? Our responsibility in this world then is to live righteously, to walk with God, to teach righteousness, to teach the way of salvation, and to pray for our nation, to pray for our land, that others might come to know Him. And that leads to the third point in this text, that the Lord responds to the prayers of the righteous. We say that in verses 22 to 33. Let me read it for us. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are fifty righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find fifty righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And then Abraham spoke up again and said, Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than fifty? Will you destroy the whole place because of five people? If I find forty-five there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again he spoke to him, What if only forty are found there? And he said, For the sake of forty I will not do it. And then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only thirty can be found there? And he answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And Abraham said, Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only twenty can be found there? And he said, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. And then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? And he answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. These two angels now turned and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord. And he interceded for Lot and he interceded for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. It is a powerful, powerful story here of Abraham's intercession on their behalf. They have no idea what Abraham is doing for their sake. 
as he prays for them. Only a believer can do that. Only a believer can stand before God's throne of grace to pray for others. I want to share with you a story that kind of humorously maybe illustrates this. Many years ago when Jerry Burns became the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, uh, he had a unique situation where he had been a longtime assistant coach and then he got this opportunity to be the head coach. When the season was about to begin, on the day of the first regular season game, he wanted to get there early before anyone else so that he could walk out onto the field and just kind of enjoy the moment before the fans and the players were there. And so he went to the locker room, you know, he got changed and he went out onto the field. This is back in the Metrodome, you know, and he's out there and he's walking toward the field and a security guard stopped him. And uh, he wouldn't let him pass. Why? Because he wasn't wearing his badge, his security pass to get onto the field. And Jerry Burns, you know, he kind of smiled at this and he thought, you know, this guy doesn't even realize I'm the head coach, you know. I mean, he could have argued with him and said, but but I'm the coach of the Vikings, you know. The guy would have said, yeah, right, buddy. Nobody gets on the field without a pass. Nobody gets on the field without a pass. Burns just smiled, went back to the locker room, got his pass and came back. You know, in a similar way, what the Scripture tells us Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way to the Father except through Jesus. And in that same passage in John 14, he tells the disciples and he tells us that we have this incredible privilege in prayer. He says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. We as believers have this incredible privilege and opportunity to come before God's throne and to pray in Jesus' name. Nobody else can do that. And he doesn't tell us those things to kind of puff us up and think, you know, boy, we're pretty important or we're pretty special. No. He does it so that we will not underestimate the power of prayer and the power of what he can do as God uses us to even intercede on behalf of others. And so Abraham asked the Lord, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? I love that verse. That verse has helped me so many times when I have questions that I cannot answer. You know, when there are questions that are asked about, well, what about those who have never heard about Jesus? What about those who live, the billions who live in areas where we have yet to bring the gospel? How does God see that? I rest in this verse that the God who is the judge of all the earth will do what is right. We know from the Scriptures that there is salvation in no one else. Apart from Jesus and His death on the cross, no one will be in heaven. How does God respond to those who have not heard? Well, He works in some pretty amazing ways. And through the years, the stories of missionaries have told of people, groups, and tribes that have responded to the knowledge that they do have about God. And they have, you know, worshipped as best as they could this God who is the Creator of heaven and earth. And God brought to them the knowledge of the Gospel and they responded to that Gospel. I don't know how God's going to do it all. 
I know today from the stories in the Middle East of how God is appearing to people in visions and dreams to tell them about His Son Jesus and prepare them so that when they hear the words of the New Testament and they hear Jesus speak, they turn. I don't know how God's going to do it all, but I do know in Revelation at the end of the book that there are people that are going to be there from every nation, every tribe, every language, every tongue, and they will stand before God's throne and worship Him. I rest in this verse that the God of all the earth will do what is just and what is right. Abraham boldly interceded. And he asked God, what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you spare the whole place? God said, for 50, he would not destroy the city. And you know the progression as we read it. He goes, well, what about if there's 45? What about 40, 30, 20, 10? Why did Abraham stop there at 10? Well, he may have been doing some math in his head. You know, he may have been thinking, let's see, we got Lot there and then his wife. And then there's at least two daughters, and they have uh, husbands, you know, and so there's, okay, we got, you know, at least six, seven, eight, you know, he's counting in his head. He's thinking there's got to be some servants and Lot's household, you know, there's got to be at least ten who are there that are righteous. But Lot's witness was so ineffective, and the city of Sodom was so wicked that even after more than 15 years of living there, there were not 10 that could be found. And when you think about the opportunity that Sodom even had, Sodom had seen God dramatically rescue them through Abraham's intervention when he rescued them from this king, Ketalomer, and brought them back. And the king of Sodom had stood there when Melchizedek said, Blessed be God Most High. Blessed be the God of Abraham, that He is the one to be worshipped. But the king of Sodom didn't get it. He didn't understand. And the people of Sodom rejected this opportunity to hear and know the God of heaven and earth. And they continued on in their sin. How large were these cities of the plain? We don't know exactly the population. Uh, John Walton writes that uh, archaeologists have discovered five early bronze cities on the southeast side of the plain of the Dead Sea that would be in Jordan. They show evidence of fairly large populations between the years 3300 B.C. and 2100 B.C. leading to the time of Abraham. There is evidence of the cities being destroyed by fire. They may have contained thousands, even tens of thousands. It is a sobering situation. Little does the world realize how precious are God's people. For the sake of ten righteous individuals, God would not have destroyed Sodom. And He would have given them more time to repent. Dr. Kaiser would often say, As the righteous minority goes, so goes the nation. A nation's survival depends not ultimately on her military might, but on the righteous minority who live within the land. And it has always been a minority. The first line of defense is in the church, in the pew, in those who are righteous and who intercede on behalf of our land. It's an amazing privilege. 
that we have to come before God's throne of grace to intercede for our country, for our state, for our city. And we don't know. God doesn't show us all of that, of how our influence may affect the area where we live. But we are indeed salt and light in this world. Why will God judge the world? It is because He is holy and just and He hates sin. It is because of man's rebellion against Him that God will ultimately put an end to all of that. Has God provided a way of salvation? Yes, He has through Jesus Christ. It is through faith in His Son that we are saved. In John 3.16-18, the Scripture says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Have you received this wonderful gift? Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, I know and I have felt this all week in my study that these passages are indeed sobering ones. When I think about the people in our community, in our world who do not know you, Father, I pray that you would open their eyes and their hearts that they would come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. Many of us have family members that we are concerned about who do not know Jesus. And we pray for them. We come before your throne of grace and ask for your mercy. Father, would you use us to be a witness for Christ to help others to come to know you? And if there's anyone here today, boy, and you just feel God speaking to you this morning and you're not sure of your salvation, would you ask Jesus to forgive your sins, to come into your life and to be your Savior and Lord? He will take you at your word. And He will come in to be your Savior and Lord. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. And may it go with us as we leave this day. In Jesus' name, amen.